0: Welcome to episode 123 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the June 2021 Night Sky Edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. We love looking up the night sky and this podcast. And our podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Shane, we should, we should mention something first. And that is that, uh, you know, these go out on the 365 Days of Astronomy. And we release... We actually released two episodes a week, sort of sort of on our own and, and a couple episodes a month through uh, the 365 Days of Astronomy, uh, which, which is awesome. But uh, I think now we have over 120 podcasts, uh, individual episodes that we've recorded uh, over the past year and, and a month. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, great point. And some of those podcasts are stale dated, meaning, you know, there is information about a particular event or, you know, what to observe during a particular period, but many of the episodes are very like reusable or, or still relevant. You know, we talk a lot about gear. Um, some of the constellation talks that we do, um, are still valid. And if the constellation isn't visible right now, just wait six months and it probably will be. So, uh, definitely Check out the backlog if uh, you know if this kind of uh, podcast appeals to you. If you're a visual observer,
0: yeah, sounds good. And uh, we often put in like the the variable of the month. We we've, we've been doing that for a couple months now since we we talked to uh, Dr. Stella Kafka, who's who's in one of our previous 365 days of astronomy episodes. And, uh, and this month though, with our recording cadence, we, we still have the May one, one up there when we're recording this. So we, we encourage people to go to the, uh, AABSO webpage at aabso.org. And then you can, you can look up the variable star of the month. If, if you're into variable stars and they'll have a, have a nice video up there. Um, by the time, I think by the time this podcast goes live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good, uh, so, good advice. Good recommendation.
0: Sounds good. So for for objects that we're looking at, uh, we've got we've got some some interesting events that are happening uh, this month. Recently, there was a uh, a lunar eclipse on on the twenty sixth of May, and uh, I did we we had some listener uh, photos that were sent in that were really cool to see. And then uh, I was I was watching it just not live online, but I watched uh, some recordings of it out of uh, out of the Southern Hemisphere, which was really cool to see. Um, and then we'll also have a sort of the, the conjoining annular solar eclipse um, that's going to happen this month. Um, although I think uh, for, for traveling to that, it's uh, it's probably not recommended um, anyway from from where we are to where it is uh, in our country, there's, there's a, a very large, um, COVID-19 outbreak, unfortunately. So, um, there's stay at home orders between where we live and and between where the eclipse is. So we're not traveling for it this year, unfortunately.
1: No, it's too bad. You and I had talked about this probably six to 12 months ago about potentially making the journey. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was definitely excited at the potential, but also very cognizant of the COVID, uh, potential impact. And unfortunately, yeah, we won't be able to, to make that drive. But for those that are near the annular, that's, uh, that's a pretty cool thing to see and definitely put it on your calendar. I guess we'll talk about that here probably shortly.
0: Yeah. And uh, then we have a, a, a decent planetary lineup this month of uh, Venus, Moon, uh, and the Mars, uh, the planet Mars around mid-month. Should be good. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to look at. So Mercury, Mercury is really too close uh, to observe in the in the June 2021 uh, night sky, and Mars is moving uh, west from Gemini, uh, while Venus moves east from Taurus, and they both eventually end up uh, in Cancer, which is sort of like uh of, of a mid spring constellation. So then that means that these these are going to be getting uh, very much into the western sky um, during the evening time. And really there's not much to see on Mars. Shane, I think you were the last person I know that, that took a look for much on Mars and, uh, it's getting pretty small now, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost stellar in appearance, meaning it almost appears like a star even through optics. Um, you know, Mars, Mars is a, a pretty small planet and it's quite a long ways away from us. So as it's, uh, gaining distance from Earth, and due to its small size, it just—it's hard to resolve it even as a, a disk with a modest telescope. Uh, never mind trying to see any of the surface features. Um, so you know, at most, you'll probably just see a small red uh, or orangey circle, and uh, it might even just be a small orange, redy star-like thing.
0: Yeah, that and see. Venus. Venus on the horizon and and there's some pairings with Venus, um, which be worth looking at maybe with, uh, with binoculars or small telescopes. Um, but of course in our, in the Northern hemisphere where we are, um, this is the time of year where where our dark skies, um, are very much reduced by the height of the sun in the sky. And and in fact, where we live, we get perpetual twilight for about uh, five or six weeks here now. Um, so with that, um, you know, we, we may be able to see Venus. It'll be very low on the horizon when we do the further South you get though. And in the southern hemisphere, um, Venus, uh, becomes uh, a more attractive, uh, object.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to that. We, you and I did a lot of Venus observing last year, uh, trying to see some of the detail within the clouds and, uh, we yeah. were successful and I want to try it again
0: yeah I am uh, i'm I'm eager to do that as well. I think uh, probably that the better bet is going to be uh, later on in the year what 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 did you see as far as detail goes on Venus last year, Shane?
1: Well, like there's sort of a like a sideways V um, that would uh, stand out a little bit to me. Um, then I have to check my observing notes. I felt like there was kind of uh I thought there was like some bright blotches or spots yeah. almost if I remember correctly. Um, and then of course there's just the phases of Venus, right? It's similar to our moon in a way in that, uh, it has different phases that you'll be able to see through a telescope.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I had some, some pretty good conditions from time to time and made some, made some decent sketches of it. And then, um, I was actually writing a a journal article about uh, about, you know, sort of whether or not can you, can you see the cloud tops on Venus? And just as I was putting it together, there was an individual in, in, uh, in Europe and I think they were in France. And so about as close as, as you can be and still be in Europe to where we are, which is still, you know, eight or nine hours uh, time difference. Um, But they did capture within uh, that 12 hour period anyway, um, Similar features to what I had sketched, and so I was able to kind of get get their permission and use those in in my article. and And you can actually see that uh, that while the clouds had actually shifted a little bit um, and had maybe sort of broken apart or something like that um, between when when the photo was taken and when my observations were taken. That sort of uh, un- undoubtedly um, they were they were very likely uh, the same features. It seems unlikely that coincidentally um, I would have sketched. Um, this sort of strange Y structure on Venus, and then and then just within a about a twelve hour period of time, somebody would have taken an image of of a sort of a broken Y structure on Venus, and then you know sort of got this this pole uh, light, you know, very light shading, very bright white clouds on the pole, um, which I also had had put in. So it, it is from from you know good skies and small telescopes, you can actually. Uh, make out some some features uh, on Venus. You know, it is possible.
1: Yeah, and if uh, if anybody attempts these Venus observations, uh, be aware that these features do not jump out at you. They're not no. uh, they're not uh, super easy to see. Like it's not like seeing the bands on Jupiter or Saturn's rings. Uh, seeing any kind of Venus detail really requires a lot of time at the eyepiece, a lot of patience. Uh, you know, you, you kind of need to wait for a, you just need generally good sky conditions, but then also, uh, while at the eyepiece, the seeing kind of varies because Venus is so low in the horizon and you just have mm-hmm. to wait for those real, real brief moments of clarity. And then sometimes this detail will pop out, but you can also go and multiple nights on end without really seeing any of this. And then all of a sudden, you you know, it'll be there. So persistence uh, and patience is, is required for any sort of uh, Venus. Yeah.
0: I, I always like to think of observing Venus is a lot like fishing. There's a lot of sitting around in the boat with your line cast into the water. And you just need to enjoy that experience If you if you don't. You're not gonna you're not gonna catch any fish <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah good analogy
0: some easier fish to catch are, mm-hmm. are, are Jupiter and Saturn um, and these are the giant the gas giants that are continuing along uh they're they're somewhat separate ways although they're they're still sort of in the sky at the same time when when they're both sort of uh getting towards their their maximum height that we're going to see them at uh in the morning skies um down there in capricornus well jupiter just coming into aquarius now um but they're both high enough in the morning sky um to become really good telescopic targets Have, have you been out to see them yet this season
1: Nope, not yet. Um, I'm, you know, most of our listeners, I think, know this by now. I'm not much of a morning, wake up in the morning at three a.m. observer. I I'd much rather stay up until three, but um, so not yet for me. But I think you did.
0: Yeah, I am somebody who likes to get up in the middle of the night, and this is one of the reasons how I think maybe I <laughs> I became so latched onto astronomy at an early age. I would often wake up at uh, two or three o'clock in the morning and then just be up and. Uh, you know, when I get into astronomy, I would, I would make good use of that time as I have been recently and started making some Jupiter and Saturn observations. And, uh, uh, and, and yesterday morning, which is sort of one of the last days of May, I had some great views of the cloud bands of Jupiter um, and the beautiful rings of Saturn. I could just barely see the Cassini division, which is uh, a large gap in the rings of Saturn. Um, using a, just over a hundred power in a, in a 60 millimeter telescope, which is just a very small wow. telescope. I'm not using anything, uh, anything really that large. It's just a good quality little telescope. And uh, yeah, they're now high enough in the morning sky for us. Anyway, um, we're at 50 degrees North latitude. And so for those South of us, uh, if you do get up in the morning, um, and these these nights, although we we have to get up in the middle of the night. If you're much further south, you can get up uh, a little bit later, maybe four or five o'clock in the morning. Even if you're far enough south to see them in your in your south uh, into the uh, southeastern sky, you'll see uh, Jupiter is extremely bright now, and uh, and then Saturn is is a fair bit fainter, um, and it's almost due south by the time the sky is getting quite bright. Uh, Saturn being being more just, just high into the, into the Southeast.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to them, uh, you know, getting higher and higher in the sky earlier and earlier in the night. So that, uh, becomes a little more accessible.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about how to, how to track them down. Like maybe for people that, that are, these are sort of like telescopic stuff. We'll talk about how to, how to kind of track them down. If you haven't even really seen them before, you can see with them with your eye, Uh, Neptune and Uranus though, to kind of sort of close out our planets, uh, they're too low. They're too low on the horizon to really uh, see. And uh, apart from some lunar pairings, uh, which we'll mention, um, they're not really visible. So June first. So right at the start of June, that is going to be on Tuesday. I think this will come out on. Thursday, so it'll be a little bit past that. But for, for those that are subscribers, uh, maybe, maybe they'll they'll get this early. Um, June first, uh, Jupiter is going to be just five degrees uh, north of the moon. So in the same binocular field, um, you know, if you have a decent wide field pair of binoculars, you'll be see, be able to see this pairing. And even if even if you're hearing this after that time. Um, you can always go to a website like skymaps.com uh, and you can download their free sky map there. And you can actually uh, see on the left column, there, there's this page, it has a star chart and on the left column. There's a list of when these pairings occur. And you should know that, that on, on many months, the moon will pair up with the planets uh, nearby in the sky. And then that can help point them out. So next month, this might fall on a, on a better date for us to see. And then on the, the second um, that's going to be the last quarter moon. So, uh, as we get into the sixth, the asteroid Juno reaches, uh, opposition and it's going to be at magnitude 10.1. It's located in the constellation and it's uh, sort of on, on the left side. So if you want to see an asteroid, if you want to see the asteroid Juno, um, this is probably your, your best chance for the year, but it's fairly faint. I I don't know, Shane, have you ever tracked down a 10th magnitude asteroid
1: before? No, I really don't spend a lot of time with asteroids, but you know, anything that, uh, is a moving object in our solar system. I do find interesting and I, I might Mm -hmm. give this a try, um, just to see what, you know, if I can capture it or not.
0: So how would you observe if you're going to go out and try to observe? So 10th magnitude, first of all, this is, this is faint enough that you're really going to need to have, um, like a good little, uh, both three inch telescope or so. I think to have a, have a decent chance of seeing, um, from, from a reasonably dark site. correct?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You would definitely need at least three inches of aperture. Uh, dark site would help. And then what you would want to do is try to observe this at the start of your session. And what I would do is, is uh, I, the best thing to do would be to sketch what you think is the asteroid, uh, as well as all of the stars around it in that field and then come back to it in a couple of hours to see if what you think is the asteroid has, <clears throat> excuse me, has moved in relation to those background stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's how you really confirm whether or not you, you captured the asteroid because it will just look like another star. Um, don't, don't, uh, I, we should set the expectation that you're not going to see any surface detail on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really just a point of light. Um, And it doesn't move enough in the eyepiece typically where you can kind of watch it just pass by. Um, So it does help to, like I say, record its position at one point in the night and then come back to it to see if it's moved.
0: Yeah. And I only just raise that because uh, this is just when it when it reaches opposition and it's noted. You know, some of the stuff that we that we do mention here, it might be difficult to see. And you might say, well, "Why are we included? that?" Well, the reason why is that this is actually out there on the feeds. Like, if you if you look around, I'll say, "Like Juno is at opposition tonight." Well, how, how would you go out and and see it? Or it's at opposition in June, so it's the best time to see Juno, uh, the asteroid. Um, however, it. This this would be I think difficult for most people to accomplish. So um, that's one of the reasons why we put some of this stuff in, so that if if people are reading that in places, then uh, then they can kind of kind of look at us and say, well, can, can I actually see that or not? I, I think this is something that uh, that somebody who is sort of uh, an experienced amateur astronomer uh, might find interesting. Um, but I think for for a lot of people, especially those that that don't have telescopes um, and might be just looking at the sky with the binoculars, this this one I think is going to be too challenging. Agreed. Yeah. Moving up. Uh, this one's a little easier, but, uh, but again, not, not too eventful on June 7th, we have Uranus, um, which is just going to be two degrees North of the moon. So this will actually fit in the field of even like a medium size, like a, like maybe even like a six or an eight inch telescope. Um, we get them in the same field, but it's very low, um, in the morning, in the morning, uh, twilight, um, so I think, I think again, that, that is, is just probably not going to be something that, that I would say, get up and, and take a look for Shane. If, if I'm up, I might take a look. I see that for us, it occurs, uh, the best opportunity according to my software is going to be at approximately four o'clock
1: in the morning. So mm, Yeah, I think, I think if I was up at that time, I would be spending my time on Saturn and, uh, and Jupiter. I
0: thought you were going to say drinking coffee.
1: Well, that too. There would be definitely a coffee very close to me. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: it's uh, definitely one of those things. So, uh, But June 10th, this is kind of the the sort of the big event for the month is the annular solar eclipses. Put this warning out first that an annular eclipse is not a total eclipse of the sun, is it? What is an annular eclipse, Shane? What is the difference between a total eclipse and an annular eclipse? And what does it mean for people who want to go and observe
1: an eclipse. Right. So th- they're actually sort of connected. Like when there's an annular eclipse, that's typically a, a precursor to a total eclipse. Uh, I believe it's a precursor. Um, and uh, they, they kind of happen in close proximity to each other in terms of the calendar. Um, now, a total eclipse is one of the most spectacular things I think that you can ever see with your eyes. And, and that's when during the daytime, the sun is up in the sky, the moon will pass uh, exactly in front of the sun from a point on the earth, like there's a, a totality path that you have to be within to see this. Um, and when the moon, during a total eclipse, the distance uh, uh, you know, of the sun, the earth, the moon is such that the moon is basically the same size in the sky as how the sun appears and then blocks basically all of the sunlight. Uh, and during a total eclipse, during uh, the brief moment of totality, you can actually view the sun without any protection on your eyes. Um, and you're not really actually seeing the sun, you're seeing the moon in front of it, but there's some neat, like uh, diamond ring effects, uh, that, that, uh, are, are just spectacular to see. Um, so that's a total eclipse in annular that spacing is a little bit different between the sun, earth and moon. And essentially the same process is happening where the moon is passing in front of the sun during the daytime, but it's not blocking out all of the sunlight. In fact, Mm -hmm. there'll be, if you're on the path of totality for, for an annular, um, you know, there'll be a a very bright ring of sunlight all the way around the moon. Mm -hmm. And this will damage your eyes cause permanent damage, um, potentially blindness. Um, So you still require protection uh, or, you know, proper filtering 100% of the time during an annular solar eclipse.
0: Yeah. So warning, do not look at an annular eclipse without special eclipse glasses that you've sourced from a reputable source that have the ISO seal. And also, um, you know, you can't look at it through a telescope that doesn't have a proper solar filter, and if you have any kind of question about how any of that works or anything, the best thing to do is to reach out to your local astronomy club, and they will uh, connect you with with how to see that event safely if it's visible. Uh, in your area. And, and for example, Shane, um, now I've got a lot of the, the special solar glasses and filters, but honestly, when I really want to get a, get a good look at the sun, I, I reach out to you because you're the solar observer between the two of us. And then I, I, I kindly ask for a look through your telescope.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, the views through a telescope with the right filtering are phenomenal. And uh, you know, if you're, if you're in the path of this annular I would definitely make every attempt at observing it, whether it's with your own gear, with the right filtering, or like Chris said, um, you know, meeting up like, a, well, I guess with COVID, there may not be as many public outreach events, but if there is a public outreach event being hosted by a local club, um, check it out. You know, it'll be a neat, a neat thing to observe.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the areas that it's visible at are, I think, Northern Russia, um, Greenland and Northeastern North America. It actually comes not too, too far from here being a 1300 kilometer drive from where we live in
1: Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a little ways away. And, uh, unfortunately we won't be able to do that.
0: Oh, well. That's right, because there is a 600 kilometer no-go zone right now. Unfortunately, <laughs> the the largest outbreak of COVID uh, in North America, one of the largest outbreaks of COVID in the world. Unfortunately, it's, it's getting much better here. It's getting much better in the rest of Canada. But between us and where that eclipse is, is a no-go zone right now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> And we're not really expecting that to change enough by that date. If it does, though, I think I think I have a have a spare day off that I can that I can pull out of the hat. And uh, I, I recently tried to make sure that that things are going very well at work, and, uh, and 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 fingers crossed. And I've I've got enough chits in the jar that that I could I could pull out the day if if things get uh, get really really good here over the next uh, few weeks, couple weeks, I guess.
1: Well, hopefully it works out.
0: Yeah, there's, there's great information on the NASA website. If you go to nasa.gov, there's great information there about where the eclipse is occurring. Uh, but again, we say, um, do not look at the sun. This is not a an opportunity to look at the sun in any way whatsoever. If you do look at the sun, um, it, it definitely will cause some uh, damage to your eye, and like Shane said, it can even cause blindness. So we do uh, give that caveat. And I did. I was I was going through this in my astronomy class that I teach. And even after I gave all those warnings, I had somebody contact me and say, "I want to go and see it." I said, "Well, what kind of solar safety protection do you have?" And the person said, "None." I said, "You cannot view it. You need <laughs> you need solar safety glasses, or you need a special telescope. And if if you're not really sure about all that." Um, then, then you, you just can't be going going to take a look at the sun. This is not something you can see without uh, without significant solar uh, protection and uh, and having the solar safety glasses, which look like a Mylar filter. Although I think they sell some polymer ones now too. They're available on the internet, and certainly there's there's lots of this gear around. I have some of them, um, but of course during COVID times, we're not getting together with people to hand them out, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, what to do?
0: Yeah. We'll catch the next one. Yeah, I kind of thought we might drive up for that because it's a it'd be a twelve hour drive. We would just have to stay in the COVID zone um, to to make it. Unfortunately, we'd have to stay over there at least one night. So um, that's that's probably not not happening. All right. So on June eleventh, we're going to have Venus and the Moon in the western sky, and this is going to happen right after sunset. And this is something that's safe to look at. And, um, in some, I should say this in some areas, they're just going to be a degree and a half apart. But I think for us, Shane, it looks like they're almost closer to 10 degrees apart. And how far is, is 10 degrees for those that, uh, that don't know what a degree is.
1: If, um, if you hold your arm out, uh, like straighten it out and make a fist and then hold that fist up against the sky, uh, the width of your fist is about 10 degrees in the sky. And it just holds true for no matter how tall or short you are, because just about, you know, we're all sort of built in with the same proportions uh, that that will hold true for everybody for the most part.
0: Yeah. So I think, uh, in Eastern North America, I think just, just looking at my, my charts here, I'm thinking that they're going to be a little bit closer, probably, you know, favoring the further East you go and, and maybe like the UK. And I know like we have listeners, uh, in the UK and, and this, I think that might be, it it might almost be on the other side. It might be, might be seven or eight degrees, um, on the, on the other side of Venus, but I'll be curious to know. I I know that they will chime in and, and let me know how my uh, celestial forecasting goes. Yeah. (laughs) So on the 12th, we're going to get a bit of an alignment there with Venus, the moon and Mars actually being aligned in the sky. So they're going to, they're going to be lined up and uh, now they're going to be sort of spaced out. Um, It's going to be more like something you're going to see just with your eye, but sort of looking up from the uh, south, southwestern horizon. Um, You're going to see Venus very bright on the horizon and then just above and to the left or to the northeast, you're going to see the moon and then almost equidistance to the northeast, you're going to see Mars forming this sort of arc in the sky. And I think that this is... Really, for for the most part, considering most people aren't going to see the eclipse and they're not going to have the special gear that you really need to look at it. Some people will. um, Some people might be in that area. But um, I think that this uh, alignment of Venus, the moon and Mars is something that people uh, looking at the sky to the west on the evening of June 12th are going to see and say that looks like that's going to look like a beautiful sight for taking a photo
1: yeah. You know, I think it's a great opportunity. Um, and like you said, you you don't really need the specialized gear. You can just use what you have.
0: Yeah. I think like with, with binoculars, you can kind of visit each of those. If you have really wide angle binoculars, like a nine or an old pair of binoculars and they give you 10 or 11 degrees, um, you might be able to get like Venus, then the moon and the moon and then, then Mars. But, but I think at their, at their closest points, they're around, like, like you said, about 10 degrees or the fist at arm's length.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure
0: and you should be able to see that one cuz it's right in the it's right in the evening it's it's bef- it's it's right around bedtime Shane you'll be
1: Whoa. good <laughs> gee
0: lucky me <laughs> good stuff on the 13th the moon and mars they kind of uh, they kind of get within a, a, a decent, uh, close approach. And the best time we can see it uh, here in Saskatchewan is going to be about 10 p.m. But yeah, in the, in the early evening, uh, no matter where you are on Earth, you're going to be able to see uh, the Moon and Mars uh, pair up uh, as close as three degrees even, I think. And here, they're about four degrees for us. So um, within well within the view of a pair of binoculars. So if you're wondering um, about seeing a planet um, like Mars, all you need is a pair of binoculars. And on the evening of the 13th, you can just use your binoculars and put Mars sort of in the upper left or to the north uh east, and then in the bottom right to the southwest, you're gonna see Mars.
1: Yeah, you know, there's the, the, the nice thing of these close pairings is it gives people an opportunity to easily find and observe a planet because everybody can find the moon. Um, and sometimes finding a planet is a little more difficult, but, uh, June the 13th is a great opportunity to see Mars. Um, now we talked a little bit about Mars detail at the start of this episode, uh, even with a telescope, unless you have a huge telescope, you're likely not going to see any of the detail on Mars, but, Mm -hmm. um, the moon, even through binoculars, excuse me, uh, looks phenomenal. And then to have the moon paired with, you know, this orange planet, uh, is, is going to be a neat thing to see.
0: And it's fun. Like, like, so you, although you can see the moon on, on many nights and, and uh, you know, Mars, like, like we were saying, just kind of looks like a star, you know, like in in our own little group of, of amateur astronomers on these nights, um, if it's looking clear, like, you know, we get busy with life and, and uh, might get focused on, on other things. And then one of us will, will sort of uh, send a text out saying, Hey, it's, it's clear. And this is the night when the moon and Mars are together in the sky, take a look at it with your binoculars. And then we'll get on, I'll say, Hey, it looks like it's five degrees apart. And somebody will say, no, it's four and you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they do look really pretty in the sky together. And because it's not something you can see just on any given night, there is, um, there is a special nature to it, you know, um, that it, that it will occur sort of uh, a few times over the course of a few months and then, uh, and then not occur for, for an extended period of time. Right. Yep. So, uh, the 18th of June, that's when we have our first quarter moon. And then on the 21st, we have uh, the summer solstice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is sort of a, you know, to me, it's like a a double edged sword. You know, the summer solstice represents the longest day uh, of the year, the most amount of sunshine. Um, Now, The good news is that every day after that, the nights get longer, which is Mm -hmm. awesome for astronomers because we get more opportunity to observe. But for us in the northern uh, latitudes, that also means we're getting uh, closer to winter (laughs) as every day gets a little shorter um, we, we know that, uh, you know, winter is coming. So that's the double-edged sword aspect of it for me. But, you know, as an astronomer, June is, is a bit of a month where, you know, you change your observing habits because at least where we live, Chris, in, in the Northern latitudes here uh, at about 50 degrees, it just really doesn't get dark for us, uh, you know, until probably uh, the third week of July. Yeah. Um, and then you know progressively darker, 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 um, or I shouldn't say darker, but the dark period of the night grows, it lasts longer uh, as the calendars uh, you know continues to turn
0: yeah, and it, it's something so i'm I'm originally from uh, areas a little bit further south and uh, i I think that this is about the, the point at which you really notice it, because when I moved here and I, 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 have never been able to fully adjust to it. Um, I wasn't watching the clock last evening and, um, it was still bright. And I, I, I said to my spouse, I said, Hey, let's, let's go for a walk. You know, it's still kind of bright out. So we know for a walk, and we were watching a movie and then we came home and then we finished watching the movie. And I looked at my watch and it was 11 and I was like, Whoa, it's getting late. And it was just getting dark. It's mm-hmm. just getting dark at 11 p.m. here, and uh, we've still got three weeks to go before the solstice. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> it, you know, looking forward to it, um, just so that we can get back to some dark sky observing.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget. I was at a conference um, at almost, almost again the distance north as as we are from where I grew up. And, uh, I was at this conference and it was one of those things where people are getting up at the end of the conference and giving speeches. And we had like a meal and the meal kind of went on for a while, but I was sitting with, with a bunch of my astronomy, uh, conference friends and we were having a good time. And, uh, there was supposed to be fireworks and, uh, Holy cow. I remember that, uh, I looked at my watch at one point. I thought it was maybe like nine 30 or something. And it was, I think it was 1230 at night, you know, it was like 1230 AM. And I was like, Oh, this feels, this feels very strange, you know, and it was just getting dark, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. We'll, we'll move it. We'll move ahead though. June 24th, full moon. Oh wait, another super moon for you, Shane.
1: There's a lot of supermoons in 2021. It seems, at least right now, it seems like every full moon is a supermoon.
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm wondering if the definition of a supermoon has maybe creeped a little bit somewhere along the line. So these supermoon phenomena are, are are relatively new. When we were first getting into astronomy years ago, nobody ever talked about a supermoon. You had you had a full moon and you had a new moon and the quarter moons and and all that kind of stuff um and then and then i knew growing up that we had uh, perigeal moons uh you know when when the moons are are at their closest points uh, because where i grew up on the ocean this this affects the tides and and we can get flooding where i'm from you know um the water can come over our dock it can come over our roads so you you know you're you're watching for those they have a very significant meaning um but now I find that uh, the, that the business of the super moon and the closeness of, of the moon when it's full um, it's just simply a matter of, is it, is it closer than kind of its like median point? And if it's a little bit close, like a mile closer than the median point, I think they're now calling it like a super moon. So there's, there's no real context to it at all. And I think it's only around 10% larger. And I think I did run the experiment to see if, if I could see. And so... Um, I'm somebody that, uh, that with, that with a friend of mine, we actually, uh, did a study of the moon and to see unaided eye, um, things on the moon, like the, like the, the, the oceans on the moon, which are just lava planes and some of the larger craters and this sort of thing. And we also try to determine if we could see, um, the difference between a perigial moon that was, that was full and, uh, and just, just sort of a, a regular moon or, or a moon at apogee, um. And it turned out that uh, I kind of thought maybe I could see it. I think maybe I can see it as somebody who, who observed hundreds of, of moons, um, full moons with the unaided eye and sketched them. So we're also sketching them and taking detailed notes of what we were witnessing and then creating uh, a bit of a grid to compare them on, on, our, on our sketch pads. Um, my friend and I, Clark, um, we, we, we thought maybe we could see it, but we were unsure. We were uncertain. That we could see a
1: super moon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it just really means that the moon's a little bit bigger, but, uh, it's not, uh, at least for me, it's not an astronomical event that really gets me excited or, you know, it's nothing that I put on my list of things to observe, uh, in the month.
0: Yeah. What we could see though, is that, is that rocking motion Um, what's that what's that called when you can kind of see sort of the um, the motion Mm -hmm. of of the moon uh, going back and and forth because it kind of tends to uh, wobble a little bit in the sky. So sometimes you can sort of, you, we, what happens is as as our orbits kind of go around, we kind of play a little bit of catch up or a bit of, sometimes we'll, we'll lag a bit. One or the other, the moon will kind of scooch ahead or we'll kind of scooch behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we, over the course of, of a month, you can actually see about 59% of the surface or close to 60% of the surface, something like that. Um, and we noticed that you, that we could definitely see that because different features will will appear to kind of come in to view or, or to kind of scooch out of view one is mere orientale um, you know but but as far as the supermoon goes from a regular moon to a supermoon, moon um, atmospheric conditions um, definitely are, are much more noticeable uh, than whether or not the moon is 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 uh, is some percent larger or not.
1: For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and the, the wobble that Chris was just referring to is known as uh, libration. Libration. Um, yeah. Lunar libration.
0: I, I always think of libation, which is, which is something, <laughs> something I do when the moon is full because we, we can't go, we can't go doing astronomy. Okay. So June 27th, Saturn and the moon are as close as four degrees. Uh, but a bit further, again, that this one's not favored here in Saskatchewan. I think here they're about uh, six degrees um, apart in the sky. But what this, what this allows you to do, no matter where you are, is that, um, Saturn and the moon. So if you want to see Saturn in the morning sky, um, you can actually identify it. So maybe you're somebody that's never seen a planet for themselves, but you're able to see the moon. And so on the morning of June 27th, so this isn't the evening of June 20th. this is in the morning, so you'd be getting up early. Um, the moon and, and Saturn are going to pass pretty close together. Um, four degrees is usually about, um, that. that's usually going to be uh, well seen within most binoculars. Most binoculars are at least four degree fields of view. Um, so with a decent pair of binoculars, you'd be able to see the moon and Saturn. Now you can actually see Saturn with the unaided eye. I was out uh just looking at it yesterday morning. Um, and I know where to look, I know where it is in the sky, but if you were a newcomer and you weren't really sure where to look um for Saturn in the morning sky. Well, on the morning of the 27th, Saturn is going to get pointed out by the moon because it's going to be the the closest, brightest star to it being just uh, about half a fist width rate above the moon.
1: Yeah, very cool. And, and then I think then, we have another opportunity with Jupiter like that, don't we? Yes. The next,
0: well, let's see, just two days later on the 29th, Jupiter and the moon are going to be the same thing, four degrees apart. We're going to have... Um, the moon uh, just below Jupiter, although for us in the sky, it's going to be scooched over a little. I think uh, the first time they're, they're a little bit further than four degrees apart. For us in other areas of the world, they're going to get as close as four degrees. Um, and then on the morning of the 29th, the moon is going to be a little bit to, to the east uh, of Jupiter by about uh, 10 degrees for us here in sort of uh, north central North America. Um, but, uh, but for other folks that are, that are to, to our East, um, they're going to be able to see them line up again, like, uh, like probably over in places like, like the UK or, or places around where I, where I grew up, like in, in the maritime provinces, um, or over in Maine, uh, as well, you'd be able to, to see them lined up uh, a little bit better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then we end the month with yet another planetary pairing, um, that will make it, Easy again to, uh, or easier to, uh, to observe Mars if you've never done it, mm-hmm. um, on June the 30th, uh, just around sunset, uh, Venus and Mars will be seven and a half degrees apart, uh, mm-hmm. which is in the constellation of cancer. Um, So very close. And at that point, so Venus will be pretty low on the horizon, uh, Mm -hmm. kind of northwest, and it'll be the brightest thing next to the moon in the sky. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, some people, uh, you know, report UFO sightings, but it's really just Venus um, because it sort of almost looks like it pulsates because of the atmosphere distortion. But um, anyway, look for those two planets uh, on the 30th.
0: Yeah, we did have a UFO setting here. I really wish I knew what it was, but... I was reading a, um, an astronomy book, and they they didn't reference these as being UFOs, but um, it's it's amazing the things that can be seen through a telescope. So some early observers were observing when the sky was very bright, and it turned out that they were seeing these strange objects quite frequently, and they were seeing seeds. And then on another occasion, um, some observers over in Africa were observing and they saw some strange things in the daytime sky and they were locusts. They were swarms of locusts. Wow. And then on another, on another occasion, somebody saw hail, you know, it just happened to the way that the hail was falling and it was at a, at a great distance from a cloud that was very high. And so there's a lot of different things that that, that you can see uh, in the sky that can kind of uh, play tricks on you. Uh, meteors can kind of come in and skim the atmosphere um, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, No, no UFO
1: sightings for us, unfortunately, (laughs) 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 to
0: say the least. Comets though, no comets either.
1: (laughs) None bright enough for, you know, a a typical amateur telescope. And uh, even if you had large telescopes, they're probably not going to show any detail, but it looks like nothing brighter than 11th magnitude, which is pretty dim. Yep.
0: Yeah, so an 11th magnitude comet would be difficult to see. You think about an 11th magnitude star, doesn't start to get easy to see until you get uh, about to, to about a th- good three-inch telescope or so. Um, and so this is going to be uh, quite a bit more difficult to see than that. So um, anyway, we're not going to get into to such faint things. But uh, what about some clouds this month, Shane? Cloud, cloud watching and astronomy? Yeah. What?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So June is probably the best month of the year uh, to look for noctilucent clouds. Um, Now, typically you do need to be a little bit more North. Um, So like where we are at 50 degrees is an ideal latitude for, for seeing these things. Now, what this is, is a, it's a cloud that you see after the sun sets. Now that's not uncommon. You, you know, sometimes after the sun sets, you'll see black silhouettes of clouds in the sky. Especially that's where I normal. Grew up. Yeah. See,
0: we saw lots of clouds growing up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now what, what is interesting about the noctilucents and why you can only see them in June. So we talked about the perpetual twilight that happens here. The perpetual twilight happens because when the sun sets, it is really just below the horizon as the earth is rotating And that, you know, keeps the sky sort of uh, illuminated to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Now, what it also allows to happen is the sun, even though we can't see it because it's just below the horizon, some of its light can still reach uh, very high altitude clouds. And what can happen is this phenomena of noctilucent clouds is you'll see these clouds and they look like daytime clouds, like they're white, they're lit up, they're bright. But the thing is, it's not daytime you know the sun has set in fact the best time to see these typically is around 90 minutes after sunset yeah um and they're the coolest thing like they are really neat to see and uh you know if you're out this month after sunset look to the north because that's where you'll see them in the northern sky usually or northwest and um if you see white illuminated clouds and the sun has set you've recorded an octilucent observation
0: and they're they're a very uh particular kind of white, almost like a bluey white, and they're they're sort of almost like neon white in a way, I suppose, yeah. as well. And uh so so where I'm from, which is only about seven or eight degrees further south from where where we live, um, I don't think I ever saw them. We had lots of clouds. I mean, so many clouds that there could have been noctilucent clouds there too, but uh we, we had lots of clouds. Um so we, we weren't seeing any noctilucent clouds. Um, but um but I think just by being a little bit further North and by having, uh, we have really good horizons here. Um, you, you can really see them. Usually we, we get a couple good sightings of them every year, even from, from the city. Um, I've seen them a few times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them multiple times from the city and, uh, they often, I, I you know, I don't know if there's any science behind this. This is just, you know, what I've observed is that it, it happens in, uh, in, during the night when like. There's no clouds in the sky at all. Uh, yeah you know, it's a beautifully clear evening and then these things appear almost like ghosts in the northern yeah. uh, sky. All of a sudden you'll start to see in fact sometimes I think I'm seeing Aurora like the northern lights are starting to form yeah but then I watch and they don't really change shape or or evolve like the Aurora does. And then you know it gets a little darker, and these things become a little brighter as a result of the contrast. And then you realize you're looking at noctilucent clouds.
0: Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you put this note in, but uh, but, I'm, but I'm glad you did. I, I I always forget to mention them, but but I am always looking for them at this time of year. Um, but aren't the noctilucent clouds simply um, the remnants of micrometeors that have entered Earth's atmosphere burned up very high in the atmosphere, I think like around seventy or eighty thousand feet. They get coated in a little bit of the the ice and moisture that's up there, and then because of that, it, it has sort of this um, this this sort of unique reflectivity versus the the sort of clouds that form lower down in our atmosphere.
1: Well, there's there's a few theories about what the cause is or what they are. Um, but I don't believe, um, anything's been proven as fact yet. There's mm-hmm. a, there's another theory out there that it's uh, con like, um, I don't know, I guess exhaust or leftover, um, I don't know, maybe pollution from, uh, mm-hmm. uh airplanes, uh, because the, the noctilucent observations, I think are also a recent phenomena. Like a hundred years ago, I don't think there was any, uh, noctilucent observations that were recorded at least maybe people were seeing them, but it, it does seem like a more recent phenomena, and some people then, you know, go to the, you know, well, what, what do we do high in the sky that might cause that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so anyway, I think there's a few different uh, again, theories or hypothesis about how mm-hmm. they form, what they are. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, there's science that needs to happen on these things to, to yeah. gain a better understanding.
0: Yeah. And certainly we we're we're amateurs, astro- a- amateur astronomers. So we're, we're, we're not scientists, In that respect, I do work in science, but not in not in that field. Um, And uh, let's see what what's interesting about that comment, though, is 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 this, and that's that, and not not to, and I'm certainly not looking to reduce um, humans' impact on the environment of this planet, which has been uh, unfortunate many circumstances and continues to to weigh heavy into the future. Um, But last year, during the pandemic early stages, when there was almost a complete uh stoppage of air travel in in our region and in all regions of, of the world is that um you and I made several not to loose cloud observations.
1: Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm.
0: so it's kind of uh I, I, I do take note of that. I noticed that we are getting more aircraft now, um, quite a bit more. And we've had a lot of those um large kind of contrails that kind of spread out over the whole sky and, you know, kind of unfortunately ruin um, the observing when and it's very still up there that the, the contrail just kind of seems to spread and then you get three or four of them and then, then they start crisscrossing and it seems to, to just both take over what seemingly would other be otherwise be a clear sky. But uh, I haven't seen any in October since this year, but anyway, that's sort of my own little anecdotal um, uh, observation of it, but I look forward to hopefully seeing some later this month. Yeah, for sure. And let's see. What about the sun? How's the solar activity? You're our solar expert, our solar amateur solar. observing
1: expert. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do enjoy observing the sun and, um, the sun goes through 11 year, roughly 11 year cycles of activity where the activity goes from a maximum to a minimum. And when I'm talking about activity, it's more so with sunspots. Um, mm-hmm. the sunspots, uh, on, on the sun are not only really interesting to observe Um, but you know, it indicates that the sun is, is potentially active and then that can also, um, send like particles towards earth, which cause the Aurora, but can also cause other disruptions with satellites and, and electronics. Um, but, uh, the point of this note here is we had just come out of the minimum or, or we were in the minimum of the last solar cycle. Uh, it was believed that that cycle had ended and we were waiting for, The new solar cycle, which is solar cycle 25, we've been waiting for it to intensify and begin to ramp up to its maximum activity. And it looks like that um, intensification is occurring right now. Um, There are a number of uh, sunspot groupings, uh, well, a couple, at least two or three. Um, I've observed them a little bit earlier in the week. I'm going to observe them uh, again today. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning this is if you, again, if you have the right filtering for your optics, whether it's a camera, a telescope, binoculars, um, if you have the right filtering, uh, start looking at the sun because you're, you're going to see more detail and there, there is a lot of detail to observe within sunspots and within the groupings of sunspots. And, uh, it can, it can make for, um, just, uh, you know, another way to enjoy the, the sky. Uh, I think astronomy is often thought as a, a nighttime hobby. Um, but you know, we, the closest star to us is our sun and there's an awful lot of obs- observing that you can do during the daytime and, uh, it's looking like it'll just get more and more interesting.
0: Well, I feel like that was a very beautiful and eloquent, um, Monologue on on the sun, Shane. So I think we should maybe, uh, maybe we should stop there. No, I think that was really nice. I, I really, I really enjoyed hearing that, and I, I think by me talking any further, it's just going to diminish the impact of your statement.
1: Okay, let's let's call it a day.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you
1: soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast